This is the Volleyball Coaching Wizards podcast, covering everything coaching. Motivated and inspired by interviews and conversations with some of the world's great volleyball coaches. To learn more about the project, visit VolleyballCoachingWizards.com. Now here are your hosts, John Foreman and Mark Levijou. All right, we're doing something a little different with this particular episode. Um, Mark happened to get a question from a listener, which we strongly encourage, so feel free. Uh, so we'll, we'll have Mark read that off, and then we'll uh, go from there. Okay, so firstly, I just want to reiterate what uh, John just said. We encourage listeners, so we're, we're happy to have them and happy to have proof that we have one. <laughs> um, so thanks, Ronnie, for the question. And... Uh, Ronnie's not uh, a native English speaker, but uh, so that might be a little bit uh, inelegantly uh, stated, but I think we, we can all understand it. So the question is, how do you get along with not being successful? Who do you blame for losses? Do you take it personally? Everyone ba- blames a coach for players, for bad playing players and lost matches. As a coach... You have to have a strategy not to trap yourself in the role of a scapegoat. I thought that last bit was really interesting. Yeah. Having a strategy to not trap yourself into being the scapegoat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it actually kind of made me think about something your brother wrote about, Alexis. Yeah. Um, and he was doing it very tongue-in-cheek at the time, but it was basically the idea of lowering initial expectations <laughs> so that they're they're quite easily met and thus keep you from becoming said scapegoat. Well, that is that is coaching 101 is uh, managing expectations and um, the first thing that you do is uh, is reduce them as far as you can conceivably do it. And uh, when you exceed expectations, everyone's everyone's happy. But there in the the latest book by. L. John Wertheim, the uh, uh, journalist and sports writer from Sports Illustrated, he's talking about uh, the actual benefits of being the underdog and that uh, there are psychological benefits in being an underdog and painting yourself as the underdog. So um, it's not only a valuable technique for keeping your job, it's actually a valuable technique for uh, being successful. Well, that's true, and I think we all have seen plenty of examples of even maybe potential favorites trying to paint themselves as underdogs. Um, unfortunately, we can't always be in that sort of situation. Um, yeah. Obviously, if you do a pretty good job coaching, you are likely to come at least once, a, once in a while upon a time when you're the favorite. Uh, so how do you manage expectations in that sort of case? It is a, it is a really interesting question. All, uh, all jokes aside. And the, I think that coaches can go about things a couple of different ways. And, um, the way that, that I tend to go about things, and maybe this is the, the, the thing that Ronnie wants uh, to stop doing is, at some level, the, the coach is, is organizing everything and he has some uh, responsibility for, uh, for the result. And, and if a player is not able to play, then 
at some level it, it is true that the coach has not been able to find the the correct solution uh, to that and I think that strategy is the only way to improve as a coach and to improve your team um, to keep to to keep thinking to keep it in the the realm of what uh, what you what I can do to make things better so there was a, you posted something with us with several Popovich quotes yes uh, and one of them I thought related to this and it and it had to do with if you lose you go back to work you know and and you know try to find a way to win and if you if you win I think or something along you know you just carry on I, I don't I don't have it right in front of me um, but I mean it's it was basically you know that this is all you can do is if you lose okay get back to work that's that's pretty much it yeah the the central kind of theme of Popovich's discussion I think is that uh, um, that basketball is is not the center of the universe and and uh, to keep things in perspective um, in in that sense so that uh, you know it's it's not actually the end of the world nothing nothing uh, nothing really happened and I think he uh, in one point in the in the clinic he actually says in so many words uh, you don't need to beat your chest because you haven't developed a cure for cancer you just made a three-point shot <laughs> and uh, maybe maybe ultimately that's the answer to the question is uh, is to keep things to keep things in the correct perspective and um, as much as we as coaches are motivated uh, inspired pu uh, pulled um, all of these things to to do the best for our team to be better um, to control everything if uh, if that's what we're in it for um, at the end of the day, whether we win or lose, if we're successful or not successful, uh, it is just a game and um, nothing happened in the world. Right. Uh, now, there were a couple of different paths I thought this, this question could take or the discussion of the question anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. And the first was had to do with the idea of blame, which is right at the beginning of the question. Yeah. Um, and when I think of blame, I start thinking about yelling coaches. <laughs> and, you know, and we see it certainly often enough uh, in NFL press conferences afterwards. Yeah. Um, but in our game, we're usually not quite as, as public as that, especially for <laughs> the vast majority of the coaches. Um, but yelling can certainly take place after a match. Um, and, and we've talked about it before in terms of why are you yelling? And, and you know, both of us have blogged about this, I, I know. And are, are you yelling at the team after a match because they really need to be yelled at? Or are you yelling at the team because you need some sort of emotional vent? Um, so that's, you know, when, when I saw blame, that was the kind of the first thing I started going, ah, all right, mm -hmm. this is probably not the right direction to be taking. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the first thing is that um, the coach is the convenient um, 
convenient figure because uh, it's easier to blame a single coach than all 12 players. Unless, of course, it's one player and sometimes the one player can get blamed as well. Um, so, in that sense, and I, and I, I touched on this before, that it, it's ultimately inevitable that the, the coach um, has to wear the, the largest portion of the, of the responsibility. So, um, the first thing a coach has to do is understand that that's what is going to happen regardless. And conversely, um, we'll get an un also an unfair amount of the praise um, after victories. That that's also the the um, um, the second the second side of the of the question. Um, the the strategy for for the coach though um, uh, is, I think the coach has to find a way. Uh, to be objective about it and whether that's uh, through discussions with a, a mentor or a colleague uh, or whether it's uh, uh, video, whether it's stats, whether it's a combination of all three, the, the coach needs to have a strategy in place that um, can provide some objectivity uh, in what just happened because the all of the conversations that you will have with people afterwards are not objective. They are based on um, on uh, emotions, on feelings, um, and as such, they even when when people are well-meaning, uh, they they can't be objective in that sense. So the first thing is, that, as I said, is the coach has to. Uh, has to be aware that it's going to happen and be prepared to take it. But to avoid uh, being scapegoating yourself, at least, you need to have the, um, the means to find an objective uh, answer. Right. And, and this actually touches on some of the stuff that we talked about um, in the, the Turco episode in terms of, you know, what do you do with your team after a match? Um, mm -hmm. when, when positively or negatively, there's a lot of emotion and you don't necessarily have a, a good sense of what actually happened. And, and yeah. spectators and media and management and all of them are, are going to suffer from the same um, lack as you are. So <clears throat> to the extent that you can redirect um, and maybe keep it from being that level of discussion which you can't always do because like you say emotions are running high sometimes and mm -hmm. you know as as much as you may have an objective case to make people may not be ready to listen to it quite at that point um yeah and you know might have to come down to a, a discussion later um the other area that comes up when i when i think about this stuff is is and you kind of sort of touched on a little bit is player quality now in any given team, some teams are going to have the best players, some teams are going to have the worst players, and a lot of teams are going to fall somewhere in the middle. And in a lot of leagues, especially when there's money involved, and, and you've, you've been part of this yourself, there are certain teams that are going to be very good. Uh, there are certain teams that are going to be pretty good, but just not going to have the resources to compete with the top teams. And then there's going to be some teams down to the bottom who are maybe you know, just struggling to stay in the league in the first place. Um, the the issue you run into in a situation like that is realistic expectations 
Uh, and, objectivity. Well, yeah, exactly, and objectivity. Um, and the, the kind of the question for me is, there's, there's two sides of, of any kind of communication that you're doing, uh, internal and external. Uh, you want, obviously, to be able to maintain a high level of confidence with your players so that when they go into a match or they're in training or, or whatever, they aren't completely down to the dumps because, you know, they're the, the, the sixth best team in the league uh, mm -hmm. going into face number one or number two. Um, or just looking at the prospects of you know winning the title is, and the chances are, are virtually zero. Um, there needs to be some level of motivation in the players to to see some sort of end goal, uh, even if objectively it's not as high as you know might, you want people might like. Um, yeah. So, how do you contrast, or how do you how do you, how do you be objective in trying to get you know? Uh, expectations to an appropriate level while at the same time keeping that confidence up everything at some point becomes really complicated <laughs> um, and and has no answer um the it's a very it's a very interesting and fine line so you have to be um uh to understand the um the position of your team so you have to have realistic expectations but having realistic expectations uh doesn't mean that you can't uh strive to be better and realistic expectations that the other team is better is not the same as realistic as an expectation that you can't win and um and those are the differences so we we play against uh we play against kazan and kazan's a better team than us they every single player in the kazan team has more a bigger salary than our best paid player and uh the coach has an olympic gold medal and there's no way that you can say that we are better than the, than kazan but it's a game between um two groups of 15 to 20 people and um you don't you can't predict what will happen before the game and everybody has a chance to win it now the chance to win against cousin is not um 90 percent or 60 or 40 or or 30 maybe it's uh, 15 percent but um you you have to continue to to strive for it so um convincing the players that they have the possibility if they keep working to have a chance to win um, while um, understanding that uh, they uh, that Kazan is, is still better and that's uh, that's what you have to do I, I don't know that I can tell you how to do that all right well let's, let's I don't know that anybody can tell you how to do that well let's take on the the subject of um, of coaches talking to the media. Now, this isn't going to actually necessarily directly speak to a lot of coaches that might be listening to this in terms of they're maybe not getting interviewed by a reporter after a match or having press conferences, but it, it mm -hmm. does speak to um, external communication with, with anybody. It could be with you know the, the, the people who run the club. It could be with 
parents, it could be just with spectators or whatever, but you see coaches um, who maybe in, in private behind closed doors are getting in the face of a player for whatever, but you know, at the podium are either taking the blame themselves or are deflecting, um, you know, the responsibility or, you know, basically trying to, to keep it from being a player centric issue. Um, or at the other, you know, and, and on the other side, sometimes you get the coaches who, who feel the, the need or at the, at the moment, or maybe it's just a slip on their part, but they will call out a single player or they will call out the team in some way to, you know, to, to get a point across. I think, I think there are some coaches who do are, are good at that selectively um, and maybe others not so good. <laughs> Maybe you get caught up in the emotion of things. The there's there's all the possibilities, and um, uh, you can normally tell the tell the difference, I guess, that um, uh, the the coach is deflecting the the blame or the responsibility onto onto others. Uh, you can see that in every in every interview. So um, the referees, the yeah. the, the travel, the um, you know the league is against us. Uh, um, all, all the things that, uh, all the ridiculous things that you, you hear coaches say. Otherwise, um, um, on other occasions, rather, it can be a communication between the coach and the player. It's a, um, um, I guess, an indirect and an indirect conversation that. Uh, um, you know, I want to I want to point out to you, the player, that uh, your your level was not what what uh, what was expected of you. Uh, it can be both of those, but um, my personal my personal strategy is that I almost never um, single out players. So absolutely never single out players negatively, and on very rare occasions I might single out individual players um, for uh, some particular uh, good performance. So often, if I do it, it's most often a bench player or, or an unsung player um, that I want to point out and, and to give a little bit of uh, encouragement in public. Um, otherwise, the, the responsibility, if there's any responsibility to take in public, I'll take it on myself and then I go back and, and be objective with my video, with my mentors, with my statistics to find out what the actual uh, likely, because nobody knows for sure, uh, likely reasons are for whatever it is that happened. All right. Now, you, you brought up the, the subject of taking the blame on your own shoulders, um, which, which circles us back to kind of where we started this yes. in terms of the scapegoating. Mm -hmm. So we end up walking that line between we're trying to do what, what we think is best for the players by not, you know, shining the spotlight on whatever frailties they might have at that particular time. But at the same time, we're, we're putting ourselves in a position to take the blame and, and to be scapegoated and, and all these other things. But then again, as you say, and then sometimes we decide to shuffle that off to the referees or the league or you know, the travel or the weather or whatever we can kind of grab hold of. 
Um, so I, I would, I would, I, I mean, I can kind of imagine your answer to this, but if you're, if you're, if you're making a coaching decision, uh, you know, uh, a, an honest decision, well, that's not actually not, that's not the right word is the honest decision would be, it's probably in my best interest to shuffle the blame off to somebody outside my, my organization. Yes. <laughs> but from an integrity perspective, if, if you're, you know, if you're sincerely in it for the, for your players, then you're going to take that hit. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Which then begs the question, <laughs> are all these coaches egomaniacs who decide that, you know, they're going to, they're either going to blame somebody else or they're going to let the players take the hit. I think that we're, we're talking about professional coaches, then uh, um, I am sure that some of them are egomaniacs. And uh, <laughs> so I don't think, uh, don't think we really have to talk too much about that. Um, uh, coaches are always doing something for a reason. And, and uh, the, the reason is either is one or the other of um, uh, helping their job, uh, preventing their, uh, keeping their job or improving performance. Um, it's more often the first one than coaches themselves even uh, would like to admit, but it's one of those, uh, those two things. And, uh, well, I mean, that, that brings up something that I, that I recently did a blog post on which is the idea of wanting to slash needing to prove yourself as a coach. Yeah. How do we go about doing that? You know, what, what is the thing or things that are required of us to have whatever stature recognition, whatever is required in the position that we're in. And, and, and I think unfortunately, or you know, that may not be the right word, but one of the issues that we run into is we can oftentimes have multiple constituencies that, that we're trying to prove ourselves to. Yeah. You know, whether it be our bosses, uh, the press, the, the fans, the team, of course, we're always basically on one level or another trying to prove ourselves to the team. Mm -hmm. um, and we've talked about that before. Uh, Sometimes we're trying to prove ourselves to a future employer. You know, a lot yeah. of times we're trying to do that. <laughs> and it's not just, you know, what's on your CV or your resume. Uh, yes. Uh, it's, it's all of those things. It's, um, I don't know what to say. It's like life. You know, the, the actual, the biggest way to avoid being scapegoated is just to throw everybody else under the bus, really, if you want to put it down to that well and, and i was going to say the the best way to not be scapegoated is to win all the time but as we've seen even that's not enough because the expectations get so high that it's not how it's not that you win it's how you win you're always going to get and it doesn't matter if you win it's it'll be about how you won or how you did something if you don't win it's about um um about winning it's there's always something yep somebody's parent somebody didn't play enough somebody played too much you took your timeouts you didn't take your timeouts there's always something if somebody 
uh, let me put it that way. Let me put it a different way. If somebody wants to find something, they will always find, be able to find something. Right. That's all. Actually, one of those quotes that you, you put up from Popovich was kind of funny in that perspective because he was talking about timeouts. Yes, that's why I included it. Right. And it, was, it wasn't just that you took them. You know, it was what they looked like. <laughs> Sometimes you have to play the game. Yes. Yes. So to conclude, I, I think, or to, to bring everything together, it's, uh, it's very difficult because the, in the end, if somebody wants to be critical, they can always find something to be critical about. Uh, it can be performance. It can be uh, style. It can be communication is the big, is the, the one that people talk about all the time now. And um, that, that can be used to, to describe lots of different things. So people will always find something if they want to find something. Uh, and the coach has to understand that they are in some, always in some kind of firing line. It, it doesn't matter. And there's, there's nothing that you can actually do, do about it. The only thing that you can do as a coach is firstly accept that, accept that it's the way of the world. Um, and the, the second thing is to uh, not be beholden to the, the opinions of others, to understand what it is that, uh, that you're doing, to have a philosophy, to have a vision how you want to play the game, to have a methodology that, that you understand and that you're clear about, uh, and then to re relate, refer your performances to those things and not to the opinions of others. And uh, what you'll often find, of course, is that you didn't reach your own standards because if you, uh, if you have all of those things, if you have a, a vision, a methodology, uh, a goal, um, how you want to play, then most often you won't reach those standards because you've set them in that way. And at the end of each match, at the end of each period, you have to refer to those things um, and the other things I talked about before, mentors, etc., and find the actual reason. And um, that's the way that you, uh, as an individual, go about your work and uh, and keep on a on a level playing on a level uh, mental uh, state. And uh, it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, because you're involved with so many uh, different people and so many different groups, um, but uh, you need coaches need to find that strategy for themselves. Right, and and to to kind of tie it in with some of the stuff that we've heard from the the Wizards in the interviews, it, it really comes down to being true to yourself, because at the end of the day, you're the one who has to look in the mirror, and if you do a lot of things that aren't true to you. That's going to get. That's going to be a very hard thing to do. Whereas if you do, if you stay true to yourself along the way, then yeah, you may get fired. You may not get a job that you wanted to get. Whatever. But at least you'll you know you'll be able to look back and say you did the things the right way, or at least what you perceive to be the right way. The way I've always talked about, or thought thought about it in my own mind is uh, being able to look at yourself in the mirror and. Um, if I can look at myself in the mirror and know that I did all the things that uh, that I wanted to do, that I was striving for, um, 
then then I can I can live with that. If I compromise my my beliefs for uh, expediency to make my life a little bit easier to uh, keep my job to just um, you know protect myself a little bit. Those are the things that make it difficult for me to to look in the mirror. And um, in the end, I would rather uh, be able to look at myself in the mirror than um, the alternative. Right. Okay. We'll finish there. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For show notes and more, visit volleyballcoachingwizards.com backslash podcast. Got an idea for a future episode or want to ask a question? Send an email to podcast at volleyballcoachingwizards.com.